welcome to the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name is Stephen Watson and I run Stack, the subscription club that delivers a different independent magazine to your door every month. I took the train over to Bristol last month to go to Left in Print, a panel discussion organised by Rover Bookshop in the city's beautiful old Christmas steps. The conversation was moderated by Elise Mison, strategy lead for the Bristol Cable, and it featured Max Jeffrey, art director of Stata Action, Erin Mathias, editor of the paper, and Phil Rigglesworth, editor and art director of Left Cultures. They're all left-leaning publications, and it was fascinating to hear them talking about the challenges and opportunities of combining left-wing politics and print. As you'll hear, there was a fair degree of difference between them. Stare to Action is a worker cooperative dedicated to inspiring change and advocating for a new economy based on social, environmental and economic justice. So it is totally immersed in the left. Whereas the paper is more generally a lifestyle and culture magazine that mixes some left-wing ideas in amongst its funny Welsh stories. I think it made for a great mix and I found the night really inspiring and thought-provoking. So I hope you'll enjoy this panel discussion featuring the Bristol Cable, Stare to Action, the paper and left cultures, all organised by Rover Bookshop. to Left in Print. My name is Ilis Meisen. I am the strategy lead of the Bristol Cable. Um, I probably wouldn't be doing my job very well if I didn't say you can also get cables from across the road, but they are free. Um, and you, well, okay, what I should say, if I'm doing my PR properly, is that they are made free by members. Now, you may have seen our uh, campaign, which we're running at the moment. We're running a membership campaign. We've got some beautiful billboards around town that say, give Murdoch a finger, give the cable a fiver, um, which we rather liked. Um, so please do look out for that. Uh, we're all over social media, of course. If you've never heard of the cable before, check out what we do. We're an independent um, investigative newspaper owned by thousands of people in Bristol, um, and we're hoping to get more members. So if anybody here isn't a member, please do check us out and consider banging us a fiver and giving Murdoch the finger as well. Um, I am going to allow the panel all to introduce themselves. Uh, we have uh, basically one main thing, in co- well, two main things in common. We all produce a print newspaper or magazine, and we are all progressive um, or on the left. Um, so I'm going to let everybody just go down the panel and introduce themselves, um, starting with Max. Uh, right, so yeah, hello. Can everybody hear me at the back? All right, what's the yeah. Great. Um, so I'm Max, I'm the art director of Stir Magazine. Um, we are the magazine for the new economy, which is an economy based on social, environmental and economic justice, which is quite a remit. Um, we focus a lot on issues like democratic ownership, so we are a worker cooperative and we aid other organisations to publicise themselves and the work that they do, as well as providing practical support to other organisations to set themselves up as a democratic organisation. So everything that the magazine does is intended towards stirring people to action. Our organisation is called Stir to Action. So that is the basic objective of everything that we do. Um, The magazine itself relies upon the work of an amazing network of illustrators, some of which are here tonight, I'm very pleased to say, uh, including many, many people from Bristol. So uh, we are made in Bristol. Many of our contributors are based here. 
um, and we've been going for approaching 11 years now. Um, we'll be able to explain a little bit more about what that has involved and what our journey's been like. But yeah, really happy to be here today with some other awesome publications. Hi, I'm Erin. I'm one of the editors of the paper magazine, along with my good friends Ol and Owen. Uh, we're an annual large format magazine. Um, our first issue was 128 massive pages worth um, of writing on the theme of the brain. And the idea behind that first issue was sort of what happens when um, all the people who've been left behind in Wales sort of come together and create a magazine. Uh, we're working on issue two at the moment, which is themed terror. Um, but generally speaking, well, we've been described as like a lifestyle magazine, a cultural magazine, a political magazine, and I think it straddles those kind of three things quite well. Um, it's a mi mixture of sort of interviews, features, little anecdotal bits, illustrations, photography, puzzles, and so on. But... Um, I'm Phil, I'm the co-founder of Left Cultures with the fine gentleman at the back in the orange suit, which is a Eastern Art style icon, I have to say. Um, um, but Left Cultures uh, is, you know, we're, we're on to our third edition, the second edition's just, just come out, and we are unashamedly left-wing, and we celebrate all culture on the left. And basically our rationale is that we could all sit in this room today, and we could not leave it for a month and slag off the Tories, and we'd all be happy, but we're not really going to get anywhere we're not going to change anybody's opinion. But when we tell our stories and we show people what we're about and we, we give our ideas an airing, we change minds and we change people's points of view because it's seductive, it's fair, and everybody wants to live in a fairer society. Nobody wants to live as an individual. It's just foisted on us by the right-wing press. And that's our standpoint, really. So we celebrate the left. We have a heterarchical editorial system. No hierarchies here. So everybody gets to write whatever they want. We won't change a word of it. Basically, more or less, everybody gets to illustrate whatever they want as well. So it's kind of like you bring your own self to it. And we'll just facilitate that and try and make it a little bit maybe better. If some of these young people are coming to it and they're cutting their teeth on the left, we'll help them a little bit. But in general speaking, we stand off it and we let people uh, express themselves, which, in our opinion, capitalism in its hierarchical sense, hierarchical system, doesn't do. It squashes uh, creativity. So that's where we come from, really. Um, but it's a visual extravaganza. That's what we hope it is. And the stories are kind of, you know, from heartwarming to absolute danger, to comedy. It's just this range of emotions that you can go through with these, like, personal stories. So that's what we're about, really. And we hope it's pretty well designed as well, and that's all right. <laughs> Marco, the designer, uses very expensive paper stock, so, you know, <laughs> problems there, but anyway, you know, it looks pretty good, I think. Well, that leads in quite nicely to my first question, which is, how do you all fund your projects? Um, I can talk at, at length about the cable, but I will, I will chime in uh, here and there. So, should we go in the opposite direction? So, if you want to start, how do you fund your cultures? Um, we, we basically, um, me and Colin, uh, put his hands in his pocket and just put the money up for the first um, print run and obviously you know building a website and, and, and sending out you know uh, orders and all that kind of stuff and what we said to everybody that contributed is 
once we've got our money back in a way so we can fund the next issue, we will divide all the profit and give it out, offer it out as an equal share for that edition. So that doesn't include being column either. So um, it's not a lot of money and it's designed not to be a lot of money in a way because we want it to go as far as possible. So it's 128 pages of pure, thick gravy. You know, it's delicious. So, like, you know, we could probably charge 25, 30 pounds for it, but we don't want to, we charge 13, and if you're on a lower wage, it's 8 pounds. So, if you're going to contribute to it, or anybody contributes to it, don't put your retirement in just yet. Uh, you won't get offered a lot, but you'll get offered the profit that's made on it. But we want, we want to be a, a voice for people's ideas to travel further, cultural ideas, and that's what, that's what we want to do, really. So, when you talk about funding model, we're probably like the worst funding model of all time in a way, but you know, we, we, we're, not in, we can't, no, we're not interested in money. We, 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 we're, not, we're not interested in that side of it, if you know what I mean. We're interested in the stories and the artwork and the culture that comes out of it. Aaron, how's the paper funded? Hmm. So for our first issue, um, we set up a Kickstarter and uh, about 150 people backed that Kickstarter because we offered a sort of pre-order option within that, um, which was amazing. And then we had two really very generous donations, one from um, a guy called Peter, who we knew in like a very auxiliary way, and he just wanted to give a bit of money to something that seems to have promise. And also Michael Sheen donated £2,000 towards the project, which was really good. <laughs> um, so that was the thing that made us think, oh, yes, we're going to be able to actually print this then once it's done, because by that point we'd already started working on it. Um, so once we had the money, um, we worked out that we were able to pay our contributors. So we paid a relatively small amount. It was like £75-ish pounds. And then, to be completely transparent, some of the friends that contributed the, to the magazine, they rejected payment. They were just like, we, would, we just want to be involved with it anyway. Um, so, yeah, that is pretty much, that was it for issue one. At the moment, we're actually applying for funding um, from the Books Council. Uh, we've not put in the application yet, but we're in the process of doing that. And if we can secure that funding, we do hope to pay contributors a more meaty sum for their contributions because yeah, without them the mag wouldn't be what it is. So, yeah. Next impression. Yeah, so uh, Star is a little bit more senior um, than the paper on left cultures. We've been going for 11 years now. Um, issue zero, before we became a quarterly publication, was crowdfunded. We used the crowdfunder to finance that. And we had some significant founding supporters in the same way as the paper. Over time, we moved from being a private company limited by guarantee to becoming a worker cooperative. Uh, and that's really important to the work that we do. So we are independent. We are a democratic organization that is owned by the people who work for the organization. And we each have an equal vote in what the organization does. So we operate as a quarterly publication. Um, the magazine itself is not a profit generator. Um, it acts more as a platform and a calling card for the rest of the stuff that we do as an organisation. So we run things like training programmes, we have individual workshops, um, we support things like accelerators for uh, new organisations to form, um, we run a yearly festival, uh, we do research projects, um, we are a development organisation for the new economy that 
economy based on social, environmental, and economic justice that I mentioned at the beginning. So the magazine itself uh, draws attention towards us and supports us as an organization because it raises a profile and it gives us a means to publicize the work that we do and hopefully deepen the impact of that work. But it's really important to us that we are a democratic organization. Uh, cooperatives are generally more resilient than private organizations. They last for longer, they retain staff much better. Um, and we are more accountable to the people that work for us, and it operates a lot more equitably. To that end, I would like to invite Eliz to uh, speak a little bit about how the cable runs, because I think it's a really valuable model, if you don't mind. Absolutely, yeah, thank you. Um, so the cable is, is quite similar, actually. So we have been going for almost 10 years. We're just coming up to uh, the sort of uh, borderline, if you like, of going nine years into 10. Um, and we are also a worker cooperative, um, but we're also owned by everybody who pays money into the cable. So you can join the cable for as little as one pound a month. Um, and there are you know, tiers with member benefits, as a lot of newspapers and magazines are doing now. Um, and everybody has a say. So one member, one vote, no matter how much you pay. Um, and we have an AGM, which is actually coming up uh, on the 26th of October. And at the AGM, we will ask the members questions. So we might ask, you know, do you want us to do more? Uh, culture coverage, do you want us to um, change our tone of voice, is it okay if we take this grant from Google, uh, whatever, you know, there's like big questions that we can ask the people who pay into the magazine, who want to um, be a part of what we're doing and to be able to kind of guide their local news and local journalism. Um, so obviously, you know, there is actually quite a lot of local journalism in Bristol. We're quite lucky. We've got a, a sort of quite varied landscape, different papers, Bristol 24-7, Bristol Post, Bristol Cable, lots of different um, um, papers, but a lot of people feel, um, you know, that they get to have a say in the cable and how that works, and that's why they support us. So we're also a co-op, um, and we're also, yeah, a sort of similar age, I suppose, to, um, to stir. Um, and that kind of leads me quite nicely, actually, into the second question again. Um, can the left compete in a capitalist system? Obviously, we've managed to survive for this long, but as anybody knows who has tried to do anything good, it's quite difficult. Um, so we are you know, always trying to find new funding, all that kind of thing. Um, so I just would love a reflection from everybody of you know, how do you think the left is able to compete in a capitalist system and survive? Um, Max, you've been around for, for the longest. Sarah's been around for the longest, so I'll throw that over to you first. Uh, I think it is crucial to acknowledge that there is a massive power differential between prestige media and independent organisations like us. I think one of the key differences is that we operate in solidarity <coughs> with similar publications to us. So shout out to people like Red Pepper, Co-op News. We uh, act in solidarity. They are our comrades as opposed to our competitors. So we support each other materially. Um, by involving each other in conversations, events, these kind of things. We also promote each other. Um, we are a community and we support each other. And that's one of the ways in which organisations like ours are more resilient. And we're not beholden to private shareholders. Um, we are able to choose the content that we deliver. We do not have to compromise what we include or the critiques that we want to carry. And uh, we wouldn't be able to do what we do if we didn't operate via that model. Um, so yeah, very much it's uh, the collaboration and solidarity between us and like publications that enables us to compete potentially. 
And the other thing is that I think people are generally pretty good at sniffing up bullshit. So uh, prestige media, the state of journalism in this country is um, pretty pathetic. Uh, I think we're all pretty aware of the encroachment of corporates' interests or just sheer clickbait being, uh, being put in front of people in those kind of more conventional publications. So I think the fact that we are genuine and people pick up on that is an asset to us. Um, I think one of the things that you know is really obvious is that um, you know the, the media and, and especially in print is dominated by advertising, and you know advertising is not a free-floating entity; it's actually corporations that are driving it, and that didn't always exist in print media. Um, and I'm just going to read you a little note from this book which is called Manufacturing Consent by Noam Chomsky and Edward S. Herman. And this is before advertising really got cemented in the system in the 1960s. And basically it says, the same force took a heavy toll on post-war World War II social democratic press in Great Britain with the Daily Herald, News Chronicle and Sunday Citizen, three left-wing newspapers, uh, failing to absorb into the establishment systems between 1960 and 1967. Despite having a collective average daily readership of 9.3 million people. So I did a bit of research and in the 1960s there were 52.5 million people in Britain. So that's one in five people in Britain were reading a left-wing newspaper between 1960 and 1967. That to me suggests there's a thirst for it. That to me suggests that you know, has that gone away? I don't know if it has. I just think it's not presented there. But you really get a sense that the gatekeepers of this are advertisers. So it goes on to say as well that, you know, in the, in the final year that the uh, Daily Herald uh, was in print, 4.7 million readers, uh, um, had a readership of 4.7 million, which was almost double the readership of the Times, the Financial Times and the Guardian combined. So like... You know, that just demonstrates the dominance of advertising in the print media. And they won't, obviously, advertise in working-class newspapers or left-wing newspapers because you know, they want to return on their money and they ideologically want it to be about consumerism and, and right-wing ideas. So how we compete with that? I don't know. But nine, one in five people read... a left-wing newspaper in 1960-1967 there has to be a space there if you can find the model there's got to be a space there how is that model going to operate well you know I think you've got two models that are developing and growing there but the model of activism has never operated on the idea of a financial reward and it never will boots on the ground is not about that boots on the ground is taking your skill sets and going and operating in an area where they're valued and you can express yourself. And that's the model that I think could be a way to compete with it. Who's going to do it? Who knows? But one in five people in Britain, that's including children. <laughs> you know? <laughs> a lot of left-wing kids out there. <laughs> so, you know, it's an interesting thing. An interesting thing about that as well is like, you know, the Guardian never used to have advertising in their, in their paper until recently. How did they do it? They used to have Auto Trader. 
And that funded it. Until eBay turned up, that's how they actually funded it. So it's an irony that you've got a kind of like, you know, a liberal newspaper being funded by the motor industry, isn't it? Like, and, you know, it's like being funded by the, the hand of the devil, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. So I think that's worth thinking about. There is readerships there. There is, you know, there are, there are possibilities there. But it's how do you find the model to operate against that? But one thing I, I think is, is really important to state is that the readership of you know, in, in print media is in decline. Is that because people are interested in news or interested in newspapers? Or is that because actually the entire editorial focus is aimed at a very, very slender few people in Britain or in the world who just doesn't resonate with them? So like, I remember as an illustrator doing a job for the New York Times and sent it through and it was for the holiday section, it was for David Copperfield's holiday resort, right? It's $15,000 an afternoon for your kid to go on this, this adventure. Thinking who's going to read that and resonate with it? You know, so they don't have to print that, they don't have to publish that. It's an ideological stand, in a way. That's a really interesting point, and I'm going to move on to the next question, which is, is print still relevant in a digital landscape? Erin, do you want to start? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it is. Um, let me just get my notes up, because I do have some. But yeah, whether, whether print is still relevant in a digital landscape, yeah. I, my, over, my overriding feeling when I was thinking about this question um, was that maybe pitching them against each other isn't the the best kind of way because I, I actually don't think there's competition I was, I was thinking about it and I was thinking of um, you know civilization magazine and how it's you know it's like literally it's like this big that's something that you can't replicate digitally there is no way that you can create like a smile and feel of paper and how it feels to unfold this enormous thing similarly digital has loads of potential that print doesn't necessarily have. Um, whether print is dead is a massive question. <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe come back to me. I'll, I'll come back to me. Um, I mean, I would, I would say that when I was studying on my undergrad ten years ago, we were having the same conversation about is print dead, um, and you know we're still here, and like there's amazing places like Rover, which stock an incredible selection of independent magazines, and there is an obvious demand for it. I like Aaron. I do very much believe that there's value in both digital and print. Um, people do engage with print in a different way. The tactility of print. Um, the physicality of it um, potentially allows you to retain information from it better. There is a limited amount of research on that. I don't think that's something that's inherent to the mediums, but it's something we can pay attention to. As visual communicators, it allows us to curate the experience of the reader a bit more. We can control the kind of visual narrative that we introduce um, a lot better. And then there are practical things, like um, if anybody here has tried to wrestle with typography on the web, you'll realise that it's fucking murder. Like, it's just way, way behind anything that we can do in a static visual medium. So if we're paying like attention just to those aspects of it, then print media is very much, like, digital still has a long way to catch up in some aspects. But certainly I think they should act in consort. And we try and do that to an extent. We need to push the digital a bit more to be transparent with you. Um, 
but yeah, I definitely think that there is a place for print media and that will continue to be, and it's valued for a good reason. I think uh, one thing that I'll say from the cables perspective as well is that we are, um, we do have a website, we obviously have a print paper, um, and anybody who is a member um, that pays more than £5 a month gets that print paper sent to them to their house, and that is actually one of the things that people say is a driver of membership, that they want a print paper sent to their house. People want to get away from their phones. They want to get away from their laptop screens. They don't want this constant draw. Um, a lot of research is coming out now about addiction to phone screens, you know, and all that kind of thing, particularly in young uh, children and teenagers. And I think that there is something that, you know, obviously digital is incredibly convenient and there is a lot of potential there, but I think there is something about having a newspaper, reading it from start to finish, um, and, you know, and having a kind of less maybe anxious experience in that. Um, and I think that we haven't quite got language for that yet. Um, so I'm really interested to see how and if that develops a kind of, you know, backlash. A bit like vinyl. Everyone likes vinyl again, you know? <laughs> Let's go back to newspapers. Isn't there like a big environmental pressure on people? Not, I mean, I'm a collector. I've collected records and magazines for a long, long time. But is there not that pressure to move away from, from printed? I mean, I've been a long like a long-term reader of Adbusters, and they turned digital quite successfully maybe 12 years ago, I don't know, and yeah, it's not the same as having it in your hand, but there's obviously really positive things about it printed too. I understand it, and I think that there is an element of going, well, I can feel this in my hands and it's paper, and I know that someone's cut down a tree in order to make this. That said, digital isn't free either. You yeah, know, yeah, like absolutely. servers yeah, yeah. use a huge amount of energy. Obviously when people were talking about um, you know, crypto and like crypto mining and how much energy that uses. So I think I think there is a lot more complexity to that argument than maybe most people think. Mm. However, I do think that there is something to be said for, you know, particularly like let's say if we've got um, you know, all of the metros that are on the bus, for example, mm. like do all of those get read? You know, do, how many of them go in the bin? So I think that there's definitely a you know a lot to be said for um, for that argument. Does anybody want to add anything? Yeah, to yeah. That? I mean, you know, like um, a lot of aggregates are based on the idea of circulation. So like, you know, it's in a um, a company, you know, a, a, a news, a mainstream media's um, interest to say we print more copies of this magazine. They go in the bin. A lot yeah. of them. But it's to get the ad rate. Yeah, yeah. So like, you know, goes back to advertising, let's just ban it, yeah, and then we can all get on with a better life, you know, and, and actually make stuff that people want. But that's the, that's the bit that's subverting it. So like, you know, if you kind of like didn't have to rely on advertising, you could probably lower your circulation, yeah, you know, to an actual, actual truthful rate. So that's a big problem. So you're just kind of like cutting down trees, putting them on them just to try and, you know, convince you know, yeah. a sofa manufacturer to dip their hands in it. You know, it's kind of pointless, totally pointless. But that's maybe the problem. I think, in a way, that the question should be framed a little bit differently. I think, in a way, the model of production in magazines is probably yeah. defunct. And I mean, the way that I mean that is top-down hierarchical models from editor to journalist. The journalist is the henchman that does all the work <laughs> from the editorial standpoint. And that's the model that operates. So you only get the viewpoint of a billionaire who owns the newspaper who gets his editor, but also you only get very few journalists who are the gatekeepers to content. 
unless it's adbusters or you know those kind of magazines. Yeah. That's the problem. The gatekeeper, the gates are too sl small for bringing through interesting and different ways of telling stories. Yeah. Now, you know, why isn't a designer commissioned to create content? Why isn't an illustrator commissioned to create content? No, it's a, or even like, you know, if you think about like, oh, we want to do a story on a musician, it'd be the journalist interviewing the musician. Why not ask the musician to do the content? Mm -hmm. You know, so, mm -hmm. you know, the, the whole model is very narrow and it's very restrictive. You know, so people know what it looks like, they get bored of it, and it's been the same model for a very long time. Mm -hmm. That's, my, that's what I think, personally. Yeah, and uh, I mean, this is my favourite panel ever, because yet again, we have segued beautifully into my next question, which is, um, we obviously talk, you know, whenever we're talking about magazines or newspapers or whatever, we're always talking about journalists, we're talking about editors. What about the um, designers and illustrators and all of the other things that go into it? I know that, I mean, obviously you're a, you're a designer, that's, that's, your, that's your trade. Um, why do you think it's important that you know designers and illustrators get involved in left-wing publications and progressive work? Um, the, yeah, this is kind of a bugbear of mine. Um, I feel that that for those who haven't heard this line before, designers like to refer to themselves as problem solvers. Uh, generally speaking, uh, that's how we kind of advertise ourselves when we want to sound professional. Um, but it's a very curtailed view, it's a very myopic view within which we think about that issue. So um, if the problem that we are solving for a client is how can we get more people to buy trainers produced under indentured labour uh, in uh, a country that is being massively exploited, then we're not actually solving a problem, we are extending and deepening a problem. And visual communication often operates in a way that celebrates things like the highest tier designers who are regarded as sort of leaders in the field will advertise the fact that they have clients like Nike, um, Coca-Cola, so forth. That's often where the greatest prestige comes from as a designer, as a visual communicator. But in order to treat that as something to be celebrated, we have to be basically morally defunct. Um, so as designers, as visual communicators, we have to ask ourselves, to what use are our skills being put to work? Uh, and typically we work as a service industry, and if we are in service to the powers of oppression and capital, we are not a force for good. This is not adequately discussed, especially within visual communication, because we are more of a dematerialized ephemeral practice. Within other fields of design, there are sort of more developed discussions around things like sustainability, but we don't really tend to get beyond discussing things like using soy-based inks and sustainable paper stocks. Like, there is a greater level at which we must engage with our practice, because design goes on designing. It designs experiences, it designs knowledge, it designs awareness, um, and we cannot treat design as something that finishes the point that we deliver a project to our client because it then goes out into the real world and it has material impacts and like the discussion of this is basically non-existent um, you can point towards people like Victor Papanek who started writing in the 70s um, and then there's a smattering of other people I always point people towards the work of Tony Fry the design philosopher um, but yeah that's 
that's my soapbox rant. <laughs> but I, I really think it's something that we need to engage with more substantially as visual communicators. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, in terms of journalists, with the paper, we didn't. I don't think we had any kind of proper journalists involved. We sort of we approached people to collaborate with us or to work with us um, on the basis that we knew that they maybe liked to write a little bit that their Twitters were really good, which I guess is like <laughs> why we can't completely throw out the digital, like their Twitters were really funny. Um, and yeah, um, or that they just like talking, like like a lot of our friends who just love to talk, we were just like, send us voice notes and we'll transform this into some sort of like written piece. Um, so yeah, it's a journalism-free zone, the paper, basically. Um, in terms of illustrators, like working with illustrators was probably one of the most fun parts of the magazine because that's what really allowed us to set up um, these really interesting collaborations between people. So there's this skater called Lazy Lottie who also paints and he illustrated an interview with a Chinese restaurant owner in the <coughs> magazine and it was just like a really beautiful piece. And then um, one that I'm like so, so happy about is um, June Alison Gibbons, who wrote the Pepsi-Cola Addict. She's one of the silent twins of Halford West. Um, we reviewed her sort of... Uh, it's a book that has cult status, but nobody in Wales really cares or knows about it. Um, we illustrated in sort of comic book style, the illustrator Johnny Wise drew it. Um, for the first time, her novel was illustrated in comic book style. We managed to get the magazine to June Gibbons and she gave feedback on the illustrations and just said it was so amazing to see her lovely characters be brought back to life again after, after like 40 years. So yeah, there is massive, massive potential in, I think. But, but for us, it was like, it, it allowed us to create this like larger community as part of the paper and putting these, piecing these people together was just part of what made it so rich and fruitful. Um, for us with the paper, design, design is all done in house. So we don't actually work with any other designers at the moment, but we are looking to do that in the future a bit. Um, yeah. Well, your, your designer is, you know, kind of... He's kind of good. <laughs> when you described the paper, you said, I made this, I made this project with, you know, your colleague as an editor and the designer. You put the designer on a par, on a par with the editorial, you know, the editor. Yeah. Well, you it's so important You wouldn't not get that in normal media. The, the, yeah. You know, the, the designer would be kind of like in the, you know, yeah. down the hierarchical list. So model breaking in those kind of senses like. yeah I think w if the design wasn't as it was the magazine's sense of irony wouldn't mm. wouldn't work at all basically yeah, it mean, carries the whole magazine and yeah. it carries the voice of the magazine for sure but I mean like I kind of think of it a little bit like this in a way with illustration design and, and journalism and, and all that kind of stuff nobody probably goes to university so spend three years and get skilled up to go and sell more bottles of milk. <laughs> right? Nobody comes to it from that. People come because they've got stories to tell and they've got passions about subjects and whatnot. Where does it get lost a little bit? You know, where does it get to the point where it's okay to go and do this and do that? And no one's, you know, I don't think it's right for us to judge what people decide to use their skills doing to make a living in a way. That's up to them. 
But I think we could say to people, if you if you say you're interested in this subject or sustainability or or you know or feminism or whatever that might be, go and contribute your skills to it. You know, because that's the only that's the only way you're going to push it forward. You know, it doesn't have to be boots on the ground, direct action, but you know, culture has a really massive impact. You know, um, and a really good example of this is that you know Robert Tressel's book, The Ragged Trails of Philanthropist, was used to help create the welfare state. So a piece of fiction was in the room with the cabinet ministers building what we take pride in today. Like. So you know, that's a piece of culture, it's a piece of creativity. So it has, you know, it has an impact. And if we come to the table with our skills, instead of you know, kind of lending our skill sets all the time and then walking away, we're offsetting and balancing, well, you know, it's you know, I, I have a great belief that illustration has a great power and so does design. So I think we have a moral duty if we're interested in that. Contribute. But you know, kinda of like they're weapons, aren't they? You know, they're weapons for for good luck. Absolutely. I think, you know, we talked about that before the event as well, about, you know, why not just leave it to frontline activism? Do you guys want to, is there anything that you'd like to share particularly about your publications? And uh, the next question I was going to ask as well was, why do you feel it's important um, that your projects give voices, uh, give voice to underrepresented voices? Erin, do you want to go for the, the paper first? Yeah, the first question. Um, why not leave it to frontline activism? Um, so... I think the benefit of something like a magazine is that it is a collection of different stories, different narratives, different voices, different contributors. And the idea behind a mag is that you kind of flick through it, you take in all the design, the illustrations, and then you kind of revisit the bits that stick out to you. Whereas if you've got a protest down the road and it's just about this one issue, you're already sort of alongside people who already agree with kind of everything that you you believe in you're there for the same kind of reason whereas i mean it's a really simple point to make i guess but you have way more opportunity to mash in a load more variety so that hopefully you can hook somebody in with this one piece which then sort of prompts this kind of interest that keeps going and that's just down to the format of a mag isn't it and being able to just choose what you like from there um whereas yeah i think it's got soft power yeah. Yeah, it's more of a soft power. You know, it's kind of you know, direct action. It's in your face, and you know what's happening. And then you know, but when you're reading an article or you're kind of looking at an image, it takes time to resonate and goes through your little grey cells in its own time. And that, you know, you know, and that, you know, you read a book or you read, you know, you, you hear a piece of music, it stays with you forever, right? and it resonates. So if it's on the left, that's going to stick. More more chance of sticking, but it might take five to ten years to ferment or whatever but it's, you know, so that's why I kind of describe it as a soft power, that it's a longer time but that's why it's really important I think, I think what you're doing is really important, is giving voice to you know, you know underrepresented ideas and creativity in Wales it's a great idea yeah. and what's great is that you know, people in the magazine industry or the internet magazine industry have really taken to it I think that's what's really good like, you know, and even like Staples of fashion have taken to it like the face and stuff, haven't they? Yeah. So it's, you know, it's, it does show that there's kind of like, you know, when you come up with an idea and you run with it, you don't know what's going to happen. And, and, and quite often, 
lots of barrier to kind of like creativity, thinking, oh, I don't know if it's going to work or not. Well, so I'll mess about and find out, innit? Yeah, give it a go. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, no, sorry. Um, well, yeah, uh, I come from a background of community activism, um, as does the rest of our team, um, and we're all still involved in frontline activism. Um, I've been doing it for a long time, just coincidentally, because I was able to get involved at a very young age. Uh, so I was able to quite quickly realise that the majority, like 90% of activism, is actually the really boring stuff that is not sexy at all. Like sitting in <laughs> lobbying council meetings, like combating people who are trying to obfuscate the work that we do, combating messaging, coming up with strategy, working out how we're going to fund ourselves, all of these kind of things. So. Um, the kind of stuff that we do with the magazine uh, represents activists because um, one of the inherent issues with doing activism is that you just don't have the time, the skills or the energy necessarily to publicise yourself and to be able to create networks where you can collaborate and strengthen the work that you do. So um, the whole magazine has emerged out of realising that need and we aim to provide a platform whereby people can discover what people are doing in other areas and then collaborate and get active. Uh, it's so often the case that you can be in a non-for-profit, socially oriented organisation and there'll be another organisation that will be your neighbour operating in the same town but you're completely unaware of them because there is not the structure there. You don't have the places to meet up. You don't have a kind of ongoing discussion. You don't have something mm. that is publicising the work that you do. So I believe that's a really important role that we can play uh, because they've got more important things to do <laughs> and concern themselves with, especially people working in frontline services who have been up against the wall for like increasingly so over the duration of the last... 12, 13 years, I guess, um, and beyond that, of course. I kind of think, in a way, sometimes, you know, it's kind of like being not brave enough to kind of go, okay, yeah, I want to say this, like, I think this, but I don't feel brave enough to say it. And you do get, like, you know, creatives who do that, and they're really successful anyway. You know, like Craig Oldham, I mean, you know, from uh, Designer Republic in Sheffield, I mean, you know, you have to spend two minutes with him before he's absolutely slating the Tories. <laughs> and he must do that in client meetings immediately. You know, well, they don't walk away from the table, you know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, he makes, you know, really left-wing books and, and whatnot, so they know what they're getting into. So I think, like, you know, as a community of creatives... Of broad community creatives, I think we can be a bit braver about saying what we're about. And you know, I'm not saying everybody's on the left, but if you are, say it. Like, you know, make some work about it. I think it's important to realise the power of it. And to be honest with you, it'd be the most exciting job you've probably done, and you'll feel, you'll feel really rewarded from it just because you'll have some satisfaction. You know, when your kind of like creative director tells you you've sold more dog biscuits this week, <laughs> you're probably going to go on and think, fucking hell, my life's terrible. <laughs> so, you know, I wish we were doing something creatively interesting. So, you know, we have the best briefs and we get the best work, we have the best cultures out of it, you know. But, well, I'm, bi I'm biased, obviously. <laughs> it could be worse, dogs are quite cute. Um, so, I mean, we're talking about making things happen, right? So, I know that like impact has become like a bit of a buzzword nowadays. Um, but anybody who's trying to do anything good and get funding and all that kind of stuff, you know, this is always going to come up. 
So I'm really interested to find out like how you guys measure impact. What does that mean when you talk about it at work? Um, Max, do you want to go first? Uh, as I've mentioned, uh, as a wider organisation, the organisation Stir for Action that accompanies Stir magazine, um, we run a lot of in-person events uh, and we run campaigns. Um, our focus is on getting people in the room, uh, getting them trained up, getting them skilled up, um, increasing knowledge around issues that we care about. So um, that is the main impact that we focus on, uh, and the magazine is what allows us to do things like run a yearly festival where we gather people in one place who don't otherwise have a point of meeting together and being able to have face-to-face -face discussions. Um, and then we run uh, workshops on a whole host of different issues. We coordinate a network of people. So really for us it is that practical aspect is reaching that point of uh, supporting action, supporting activism and that's the main point of impact and on the occasion when somebody says to us that it was via the magazine that they first got involved in this stuff that is amazing and that's uh, really heartening um, so we don't have any sort of formal ways of measuring impact and we didn't really have a proper definition of what impact meant to us but we were chatting about it on the way down <laughs> yeah um, and we were thinking about yeah how have we measured our impact what does it mean and we sort of split it off into sort of within Wales and outside of Wales um, so we've measured impact within Wales just based on feedback basically from people who've read the magazine and we've had such nice feedback people just saying oh we've always wanted something like this to be created or I've been sort of waiting for something like this to come along for ages um, so it's sort of within a Welsh context it's been about sort of enthusing people again about the culture so even though everything's totally shit it's kind of good as well um and then outside of wales i mean wales is sometimes even by people on the left it's regarded as like this kind of socialist utopia because we have like a, like a welsh labor government we don't have like a like a, like a proper labor government it's the welsh labor government um so i do feel and I do hope that we have added a bit more like nuance to the sort of British the conversation about sort of British politics and how it isn't necessarily the same across every country in uh, in Britain. So within Wales, impact has been to do with enthusing people. Outside of Wales, hopefully educating people about you know it isn't quite as idyllic and lovely as you think it might be in Wales, and actually mm. everything is kind of really bad. But we've got this like <laughs> veneer of everything being good because like Mark Drake for the whatever. Yeah, so it, it's not really a very formal way of like recording impact, but that's how it feels to us. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So what about left cultures? Do you have a formal way of recording impact? Well, there's nothing formal about left cultures <laughs> at all, I think, but um, I think one of the things that's been really heartening is that we kind of like, we made it and we kind of thought, okay, you know, it'll do really well in radical bookshops and then if it could do all right in independent magazine shops, that'd be cool and, and whatnot. But actually it's been the total opposite way around, really, that we found that it, in independent magazine shops and normal bookshops, we've done a lot better than radical bookshops. And that's just because in radical bookshops people are already into the kind of idea of it in a way. So, you know, but, um, you know, we sent it, when we sent it out, um, we got, um, you know, people got back and, and, and kind of said, okay, we'll stock it and stuff. And it was like, 
you know, Stockport went mental for it. <laughs> but, you know, we were like, what the f what's happening in Stockport? Like? You know, we were like, every day going, we're in over 10, we're in over 20, you know, we're like, bloody hell, let's all move to Stockport, you know. <laughs> so, you know, but I think that's the community, in a way, that are interested in culture, that we want to maybe kind of like, re you know, kind of get people to realise that, that if you're into it, you should, you should celebrate it a bit. And, you know, we want students to kind of get involved in it in a way and, and read it. And, and a lot of educators have been buying it, which is good, because hopefully they're going to take it into the classroom. And there's been a lot of educators <coughs> have been kind of contributing, especially to the visual communication of it. And we want them to take it into the classroom. It gives them a legitimacy to go in and say, look, I've been doing this on the left. There's a, there's a, there's a way to do it, rather than kind of just kind of like capitulating to kind of like, okay, get a job, kind of, and, you know, which is obviously forced down from, you know, government and management and stuff, um, which is, you know, so it's kind of, you know, it, that's been good to kind of, you know, kind of judge and things like that. And um, we asked, uh, you know, a really nice thing, um, we asked this banner maker from um, um, uh, the northeast called the Durham Banner Makers, I don't know if anybody knows them, but they're absolutely brilliant. And, we got a long time and they were family business in a way, so um, I rang the lady up and I said, oh, you're right for us, you know, da, da, da. and she was like, oh, God, I can't be asked with this, like, you know, this is just sounds, you know, but I got her to do it, and I said, okay, you're going to create a banner, and she's like, no way, like, you can sort that out, so I commissioned this illustrator who worked really hard on it, and she kind of said, this is the best piece of work I've ever done, right, so I was like thinking, this is about a family story, about banner making, we use banners, Really, I wonder what she's going to think of it. She got back and she told me she cried when she saw it. Like, and I told the illustrator that, and the illustrator said, "Wow, that's the best. That's better than any feedback I've ever had from any client." So, kind of like you know, you make an impact on people who've been doing it for a really long time, and it's really rewarding for them. And it's also, you know, we're giving a platform for people that have really put themselves out there because you know they're culture creators. So it's also a reward for them in a way as well, like that. You know, they're getting some feedback that their work's amazing. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's a slog sometimes. Absolutely. So, you know, so the impact on many fronts and stuff, but we'd still like to get in more areas. It's, you know, we've just picked up a bookshop in Bucharest, which is great. <laughs> um, we've got a bookshop in, uh, a mag shop in Toronto that's interested. We've got, just picked up a stockist in Portland. So we're getting it into different areas. So, that, you know, that's, that's really good that other countries are seeing value in it as well. Um, and Amsterdam are going a bit bonkers for it, so that's quite nice. So, <laughs> with their election coming up and everything. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to ask you guys a final question, but I then am going to throw it out to the floor. So please do get your questions ready. I want to see lots of hands shoot up. I used to be a teacher, so if your hands don't shoot up, I will pick on you. <laughs> um, do you. I mean, you were just talking about, my question is basically, what do you find, you know, we've talked a lot about um, why we do what we do, and we've talked a lot about how difficult it can be, particularly with things like funding and trying to measure impact and all this kind of stuff. Um, but you've been talking about, you know, how rewarding that story was. What do you find most rewarding? And we'll go this direction. Okay, I mean, I just think, like, you know, what it's done for both myself and Colin, I'm speaking of Colin here, so he might not agree with me, I don't know, but like, <laughs> it's actually finding people and finding, broadening our understanding and you know, kind of range of culture and, and creativity that is out there being, you know, made um, and researched and brought to light. And that's been so rewarding to kind of discover these, you know, kind of brilliant people out there. You know, I mean, 
you know, I'll find somebody who'll go, come on, check this out, like, and he's <laughs> like, you know, I can't believe this exists, like, you know. And then, like, you know, vice versa, you know, and uh, Colin's just got a, a story in from a, a, an Iranian architect talking about communist architecture and communist architects, like, from, you know, the, the, the revolution in, in Iran. And you're like, wow, what a story, like, you know. So it's kind of, you know, finding these things out is just really rewarding. And, and seeing it come, to, come together visually as well, I think, because we're both visual communicators. So that's probably our most rewarding bit, I think. Uh, I would say overall it's probably just the relationships that we've made with people uh, during the process, so people like Ian Bone or June Gibbons as I mentioned earlier, but as much as that it's relationships with the contributors, you know, it's started to create some sort of community, you know, we do things like we did a big launch party, we're looking at doing a weekly sort of pub event kind of thing to just sustain this sort of community of creatives and grow it. I think echoing uh, what Phil said, it's really nice to be able to allow the maximum amount of creative freedom for the people that we work with. Um, illustrators are central to what we do, the, to our identity, um, and how we articulate the messages with, that we're trying to put across. Um, so being able to engage with the creative disciplines that um, we care about in a meaningful way is, I think, the greatest reward, as pretentious as that may sound. Um, but also, if you're working in these kind of areas, if you're working in writing or like design or illustration or whatever, if you're not doing it with some kind of purpose in mind, uh, what's the fucking point? So, yeah, that's the greatest reward. I'll just um, like, just finish as well. Like, I mean, you know, it's, um, we're commissioned for the second edition, this really amazing printmaker. And, like, you know, we say to, you know, people, we commission, you know, it's your you make what you want, or whatever. Mm. He came back with a jacket. <laughs> you know, and we're like, I said, do you want to model it? He said, yeah, right. You know, he's a kind of middle-aged guy. So he, he took on the role, and instead of being forced, not forced, but, you know, with a, a usual commission would be like, you know, we want this way of working. Mm. He came back with a jacket, and he ended up being a model. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> that's, a, that's a brilliant format to kind of work in, isn't it? Because, you know, creativity is not a static thing, and it's not... You know, it's not a, like a, a production line of just coming out the same stuff. And, and there is a kind of journey there that you want to experiment with and stuff. And, you know, day-to-day -day creativity or, or making a living from it doesn't enable you to do, which... Yeah, I would agree with that. That's like totally creative collaboration. So not really coming at somebody with an idea of what you want them to do, but just allowing that complete freedom. I think, yeah, that's been super. I mean, you get surprised. And you get such good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes it'll work. You just say, oh well, that's okay. You know, it goes in as well. You know, and it, you have to live by that if you know what I mean. And you know, so but that's really kind of interesting. I think. Thank you. All right. Any questions from the audience? This is where we become really unstuck. <laughs> <laughs> if we haven't become unstuck yeah. already, that's, it. that's the thing. Like, yeah. It's going to be the first brave person. Yes. Um, I'm a recent graduate. Uh, I've been into design and architecture. However, I resonate completely with what you're saying. Like, why would you potentially put a design out that, that doesn't morally stick with what you feel like? Um, and as a designer, I sustainability is fully in the footprint of how I'm going to move forward. 
Um, I guess my question is like, how do you then work with these up and coming potential creators to then give them a voice? Or is that like, is it a network of you being there and we come to you? Or so are you saying like how you might get involved with yeah, something like this? Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Does anybody want to particularly take that? <laughs> if, you start, if you're starting out, you know, you're more likely going to have to approach people. Now, you know, some people might not get back, some people are too busy. You know, it happens for when, you know, I, I ask people, reach out and say, oh, would you like to write a story or whatever, you know. People won't get back or whatever. And that, you can't take it personally in a way that people might not be in the right space. They might actually miss it. They might not want to do it and you've got to accept that or whatever. But also, you know... When, for example, illustrators contact me or to work, they might not be ready at all, you know, but like, I won't kind of like slam them down or whatever, you know, like I'm trying to reach back and say, you know, thanks for showing us your work and da 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 da, because it's a brave thing and everybody's got to start. But, you know, you, you will learn by doing it in a way, and it's, it's learning how to communicate with people. And, 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 and you know, the, the thing that's interesting is that somebody might really not like it and somebody might really resonate with it. But unless you put it in front of somebody, you'll never know, if you know what I mean. So look, I always thought, like, as an illustrator, let the person or the client or whoever it is make the judgment they don't want it. So that's why I always thought, like, so, you know, I don't know if that answers your question, but... Yeah. Put yourself out there, basically. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there are, you know... Not everybody's ready at a certain point either, so you've got to kind of go through a journey. And if you don't get quite the response you want, you might need to develop it further and things like that. But there's no point in kind of going, it's not working. You know, there's a journey at play. And, you know, it's, with creativity, it's not quite the same way as maybe going into law or something where you get a junior role is it as easily. So, I mean, it might be in architecture, I suppose, but... No, you've got to put yourself in the, in the, in the frame, haven't you, really? Yeah. In, uh, in preparation for tonight, I was rereading an interview that I did with um, the ex-art director of Jacobin magazine, which is a massive left-wing publication. Um, and he was making the point, which I think is very valid, that as uh, creatives, um, we should be making an effort to involve ourselves in social causes and issues outside of our immediate discipline and by doing that you will actually enhance your creative output because you're more aware, you're more engaged, you have a wider field of knowledge to draw upon. Architecture in particular is um, probably one of the areas which has the most developed kind of theory behind it. Um, so there's a lot to explore there um, but really it is getting involved in a hands-on way. Um, you will have to go searching for it because as I've said they're not necessarily very good at making themselves visible. Um, so turning up to events like this one, um, being willing to approach people, because most of the time if you email someone from an organisation, um, uh, then it will reach them directly. Um, you might have to chase them for a response, to be honest, but um, they will respond to you. Um, so reach out, make sure that you go to things and that you turn up. Um, and try and get involved in something that you feel passionate about or you feel interested in and over time, even if it's not immediately obvious, you will find a way in which your particular skill set and discipline can be applied to that in a positive way. <laughs> not massively. I mean <laughs> just yeah. Just be be brave. I guess I don't know, I was thinking about um, 
quite often you'll have kind of themes, so people will announce sort of the theme of their publication. So it's just really thinking about how your interest intersects with that theme and how you can best show off your skill set with that theme in mind and that will make it a really sort of neat email for the person at the end, other end to deal with then. Just kind of, yeah, write to us if you want. <laughs> Any other questions? Yeah. Hi, my question is for Erin from the paper. Um, I'm from South Wales myself and I love how regional it is, like just the way it's written and the content of it is just amazing. How have you, how have you found the response from the UK to be, are they sort of I don't know, I've been invested in that, what you've been writing about? Yeah, it's been quite, not surprising necessarily, but it's, it has been quite interesting that a lot of the feedback from outside of Wales has been like, it's so Welsh, it's so, <laughs> so, so funny and it's so Welsh. And I'm like, how do you know? <laughs> like, like, yeah, how do you know what that is? So, like, it seems like we've managed to create some sort of sense of Welshness. So we never sort of set out to do that, but it seems we've taken loads of sort of varied voices. Oh my God, I think that's my phone. <laughs> <laughs> that's my alarm. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, what, did, what was the question? How did, how did we do it? I sort of forgotten, but... Um, oh, no, outside, yeah, outside. Yeah, outside of, yeah. What's the reaction been? Yeah, the reaction has been really, really good. Like, surprisingly good as well. Um, we've had great feedback on the design, the sort of humour. But we've also had, like, really emotional reactions to certain pieces. So um, our friend Ross wrote about how difficult it was for him to get a diagnosis yeah. and how difficult it was for him to even get a doctor's appointment, actually, yeah. in order to get that diagnosis. And then somebody else who had received that same diagnosis got back in touch and just said, you know, this was a... I could have written this myself, yeah, yeah. kind of thing. And that was somebody who does isn't from Merthyr. Um, from somewhere completely different, yeah. but that that situation is clearly relatable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, I just love the way that article's written as well, with the slang and the, mm. the words that were used were very Welsh within that. So it's yeah. fun to have like a nuanced whale view of Wales rather than be yeah, about we, the nation, but mm -hmm. about the different parts of Wales as well. Yeah, we we've got a, quite a hefty little style guide on the go at the moment. Oh, really? So yeah, it's it's quite an anal style guide. <laughs> Um, but we had like really weird, we made some weird editorial choices or copy editing choices. So for example, this might be a bit boring, but when we were copy editing proofing right at the end, we were like, what's the difference between a round and round? <laughs> and why do Welsh people like go round? Like, they don't go around things. So we sort of read every article in the accent of the person that had written it and obviously that varied depending on where in Wales they were from and we basically decided if they sound like they say round we just cut the a off the start and we don't put the apostrophe and we leave it as round so we've like milked these inconsistencies but sort of done it in a quite a self-aware way I think but yeah can I ask one more question I love how big the paper is is the next issue going to be bigger or <laughs> Und yeah, undecided, I think. We're, we're thinking we might do a tiny but really thick. <laughs> or, uh, yeah, the next issue is Terra, so it's going to be um, probably much more like lo-fi and sort of maybe scanny, a bit scanny. Okay. But yeah, we'll see. It'll fall apart in your hands. <laughs> yeah. Look, somebody with a hand up at the back, is that right? We're just scratching. 
ahead. Um, my question was also for Erin. It, it was to do with uh, the Paper Mag Wales. I'm obviously mm. from England. Yeah. But <laughs> do you have like contributors outside of Wales? I lived in Pembroke for Oh, did you? Yeah, I'm from Pembrokeshire. Oh, are you? Yeah, not that big. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, we are. Uh, yeah, we do. Yeah. Some of them are based beyond Wales. And for yes. the next issue as well, we are going to try and look a little bit more outwardly. So it was a little bit inward, the first issue, because the theme was the brain. Um, but for the next issue, we are going to try and have a bit of more bit more of an internationalist, sort of, yeah, outward looking, but yeah, like people from not Wales are not banned from writing for the paper. No. <laughs> <laughs> How did you go about like applying? Uh, so, is it like open or? Yeah, so we're going to announce, we sort of announce the theme of the next one, but we're going to officially announce it and we'll have all the details about how to pitch. Um, but yeah, you can email us anytime anyway, and we've got some little leaflets we can give you nice. as well. Yeah. Email us, whatever, really, if you've got an idea. DM us, anything. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Great. People are getting jobs in the room. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, other questions? Yeah? Um, I've got a question, I guess, to all of you. Um, I guess as like a creative or a creator, either a writer or an illustrator, some of us do sort of participate in creating work for very capitalist organisations. I know this was touched on a bit, but I guess how would you, what, would, what advice would you give to people that really want to engage with that progressive left-wing um, type of work, but I guess that feel that maybe they can't because they create work for people that aren't, don't engage with that. How would you, does that make sense? Sorry. I, I want to just say I don't think that it, I don't think that it excludes mm. you from yeah. working no, for any with any more progressive. Well. And if anybody tells you that it does, it's probably just because they're an arsehole. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I feel like that's a really important thing to say is that if you're feeling like oh I can't engage with that group of people because I've done this thing, you know I think just maybe just take that with yourself. That's all mm. I'll say. Yeah, anybody else want to like that? I don't think there's anything that stops you from you know. Well, you're doing a job anyway, you know? Yeah. So, like, you know, everyone has to make a living, and it's up to you how you want to make a living, but, you know, I don't think there's anybody that says that, oh, no, you've done this, so that's, that's, out, of all, that's out of the equation. You know, mm. We've got, you know, life is a long time, and a political journey and education comes at different people at different paths and different timelines and stuff. Mm. So, like, you know, kind of writing people off. You yeah. know, we had, we had a story in the first edition by... Buff Wally, his first words were, when I was a teenager, I was a racist. You know? So, like, you know, if it had been written off, sure. then you've got all that culture kind of down a pan, haven't you? You know, that he's made a massive contribution. You know? It's a great story as well, like, about <laughs> It's also not linear, you know? I'd say it's a great story about becoming not a racist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's an important point. Um, you know, it's also not linear, right? You, you, you will sometimes work for things that you yeah. necessarily want to work for because you need to pay the rent. That's, exactly. that's that you know, product of, yeah, exactly. yeah. product of being in a capitalist system. Right. Okay. Um, anybody want to say anything more before we get to another question? I, just that I think a big motivator for creative work is having to having had to have done shit jobs that you didn't want to do. And yeah, I definitely have. So just, <laughs> just, a, just, a, just as a little story, I also got a call from the Daily Mail, right? And they said, were you doing an illustration for us? And I said, what is it? 
and they said, the brief is this, and they said, look, if you want to do it, just remember who reads this newspaper. Don't do anything interesting or clever. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, you know, I didn't even know all that, realise it. You know, like, you know, I didn't do it, by the way. You know. <laughs> yeah, I do think it's important to note that the skills that you deploy towards a commercial client and the way that all of those techniques are very refined, those are incredibly valuable to apply to social causes. But the main arena in which you're going to be able to develop those and using sort of the latest kind of research and approaches is going to be within the commercial arena. Um, so you can take that and develop it and then apply it to these smaller scale um, organizations that are socially oriented. Um, the other thing that I think is important to note is that um, senior established designers um, with a career behind them tend to kind of foist the responsibility onto young creatives at the start of their creative journey. And that's not correct. It shouldn't be that way. Yeah, um, yeah. If anything, it should be the reverse. Um, because um, like, it's hard enough trying to make any kind of living or earn any money from clients when you're early on in your career. Um, so if you're at that stage, don't sweat it so much if you can't be on the front line involving yourself with this stuff. Do what you can when you can. But really, um, it's those established people who have a whole portfolio behind them are the ones that really need to answer to that responsibility. And yeah. if you wanted to, you could do what Joe McGee did when he got some work for the Telegraph about 20 years ago. And you know, if anybody knows Joe McGee's work, he's a, he's a great illustrator, but it's kind of very design-led. And this guy were commissioning him for like these really boring jobs about shampoo and things like that. And the art director just didn't really get what he was doing until somebody wrote in and said, do you realise what this guy is writing in Braille? <laughs> <laughs> illustrations. And he was writing things like Thatcher Fuckters and like reading <laughs> you know. So they said, right, that's it, you know, I'll never pay you for these again. Yeah, but off the back of it, he's yeah. made an absolute brilliant career yeah. like, from people that are you know, slightly more progressive thinkers. So, you know, subvert it. Yeah, <laughs> It's got a great tradition from the Luddite, maybe, kind of movement and stuff, you know, so, you know, we can always do that. True. Um, we obviously have a little bit more time to go down to the bar, we're going to go over to Rover, we're going to spend lots of money on books, um, but does anybody have a final question that we can finish off with before we all give them a point? Come on, you know you want to. <laughs> yes. I'd love to know... Who and what you look to for inspiration? So, other magazines or organisations or people? That's an ongoing thing. I mean, I, um, there's a really, I, I came across a really amazing documentary the other day called The Hell with Culture, uh, which is by talking about Herbert Reed. Um, you know, I think he's really an interesting figure um, who talks about culture and capitalism being a complete dead end. Um, so you're kind of finding interesting people talking about interesting things all the time. Um, I also came across a, a radical uh, educator from Brazil recently called Paulo Ferreira, who talks about you know, education being a tool to either integrate young people into the existing system or to free them through critical thinking to go and transform the world. You know, so they're coming out of ideas that you can all learn from. So, you know, there's people out there that are talking about stuff that is, is quite inspiring, I think. And, you know, we've got people for, who was on our shows, like, you know, Mark Fisher, who said, you know, you pull back, you know, any cut in the grey curtain allows a little bit of light through and anything's possible again. And that's, 
that's what left culture does. That's what left imprint does. You know, the, their ideas that don't get aired, they're not in the mainstream, but when people read them, listen to them, they resonate with them because it's, you know, it's, 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 they're great ideas. Like. So it's important, I think. But, you know, actually, um, from a visual communication point of view, I think like Rodchenko made an amazing publication called Soviet Living, um, which was a totally collaged magazine <laughs> from start to finish, which was a beautiful object and a beautiful piece of work, but you know, from all over the place, I guess. <laughs> Um, so in terms of magazines, it's like a running joke that I'm the editor of the, of the paper that just doesn't read magazines, but I, like, I do read a bit of magazines, and I, I would say that one of the most exciting magazines, I think, but I don't know a massive amount, is Buffalo, like I love Buffalo Mag, and how they um, particularly like style their magazines, so how every issue kind of looks completely different, so there'll be like a hardback issue, and then kind of... I think that's really fun. Um, I know Nuts is coming out soon, Richard Turley's thing, which looks really exciting. Um, but yeah, I don't know. But we also take loads of inspiration from like Take a Break and Chat Magazine <laughs> and just like that kind of, what would you call that? Not tabloid mags, but kind yeah, of yeah, lifestyle mm. magazines and things like that. So we take sort of inspiration in terms of content and style from like, almost contrasting sides of the scale, sort of popular versus non, and then fuse them together to make the magazine, so, yeah. Um, yeah, we take a lot of inspiration from the tradition of political education that exists on the left, and particularly within the UK, it's kind of been forgotten about. Um, like, uh, workers, it was very much an integral part of the approach of the left that workers in factory and organisation would have study groups, would have reading groups, political education amongst themselves. Um, that has essentially disappeared in the UK, you know, with the downturn of like union membership um, and all of those kind of things. So uh, paying, uh, paying attention to that kind of legacy is a big thing for us. There's a lot more we can do in that area, um, but we like to look towards that. And then also just like we have incredible people uh, contributing to us, incredible projects, doing amazing work, and just like when you're working in support of those people, it really lights a fire under you. Um, so that is the main motivation, I would say. Um, the people that are coming up for me are Gary Young as a journalist, um, and I'm also a big documentary nerd, so the Yes Men. If you haven't seen the Yes Men's <laughs> documentaries, you're missing out. <laughs> Go and watch them, they're all free online, it's fine. Um, Alright, so we're going to end by um, letting everybody plug what they're doing at the moment. Guys, where can we find your magazines other than obviously over the road? Um, and do you have anything that you want to share? What should we go look at? How can we find you, etc.? Um, well, you can find Left Cultures in Rover, but we're working on the third edition and we've got kind of um, some quite amazing people signed up already. Um, um, but we are looking for contributors. If you do culture create on the left, we are interested in stories. Um, you know, and that's from people starting out as well, not just you know big hitters. Um, um, so you know, we are we are looking for interesting stories. That's what you know. That's what floats is really. But you know that. Um, but go and have a look at it and see what you think, and, and, and you know, kind of 
inspired by it. The Yes Men are in the first edition as well, like. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, so there's some amazing culture being spoken about. And I think it's kind of like a, you know, hopefully, you know, a broad political education, really, like of, of culture, you know. Um, best place for you probably to follow us if you're on Instagram. We're quite active on Instagram, but we do have a big cartel if you want to buy the magazine online. We're stopped in Bristol, Cardiff, London, and New York, which is not like <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, But we are looking to get stocked more like widely soon and we are going to have a website soon as well which will list all the stockists and you'll be able to buy directly off there uh, we're taking pictures very soon for issue two which is going to be themed terror and it's a really broad take on the theme of terror so terrific <coughs> terrier like you can break the word down do whatever you want with it um yeah so get in touch with us uh, you can find out more about the work that we do at stirtoaction.com uh, and we are releasing our first book at the end of the month, uh, The ABCs of the New Economy, with illustration from Phil Rigglesworth. Um, so, keep an eye out for that, I guess. That's the biggest report, that's the biggest round of applause all night. We haven't even seen them yet, it might be absolutely rubbish. <laughs> campaign going on at the moment you can pick up a free copy of the cable we also have some flyers for the campaign specifically over the road so please do just grab one of those they're free um, and i just want to also say thank you so much to the panel of course thank you to paul and everybody at rover and everybody at scrander as well for having us and for our wonderful av people and everyone that's been taking beautiful photos of us this evening um, so yeah thank you to all of you for coming we really appreciate it and we look forward to seeing you over the road and we might have a little pint as well Okay, that's all for this week. I would like to say thanks very much to Phil at Left Cultures for letting me know about the event. And thanks to all the speakers and the team at Rover for letting me record the conversation for this podcast. And now I'm hoping I can ask you for a favour. Uh, if you get our email newsletter, you might already know that all this month we're asking for help spreading the word about Stack. There's a long post on the Stack blog giving more information, but the short version is that social media used to play a big part in helping us to promote what we do, but these days it's become more unpredictable and less effective. So we're trying to go direct to people like you who know what we do, and we're asking you to spread the word about Stack. So if you enjoy listening to these podcasts, please have a think about whether there's anyone you know who might also like them, or even better, if you know somebody who might enjoy our monthly magazine deliveries, point them to our Refer a Friend page, and when they subscribe, we'll send you a free magazine to say thanks. That's at stackmagazines.com forward slash refer dash a dash friend. Uh, so stackmagazines.com forward slash refer a friend. Um, it is really quick and easy to sign up. And of course, as with all of our subscriptions, you can cancel any time with no risk and no commitments. Thank you very much for whatever support you can lend us. And we'll be back with the next episode of the Stack Podcast in a couple of weeks. <laughs>